So um, we have uh, been in this uh, um, series of, of talks about uh, Joseph the patriarch, not Joseph the the Marian Joseph Joseph, but an earlier Joseph from um, about a thousand fifteen hundred years earlier, Joseph the patriarch. So we're continuing in that, and in the the lesson we read today, Joseph is waiting. Joseph is sitting there in prison waiting, and and I don't know about you, but I don't like waiting. Um, you may have looked at the picture on the bulletin. It's a picture of a waiting room. How many of you recognize that picture, right? How many of you have been there? You you sign in, uh, you ring the bell, and then you sit down and you wait, right? That's that's a very um, a common phenomenon. A lot of people have to go through that. Now, if you talk to my family, they will tell you I actually don't mind waiting because I go to the airport early, right? And I don't mind killing time at the airport, but that's because I have some idea of when the plane will actually arrive um, and when I can leave on it. Um, I don't like going to a waiting situation where I don't know how long I'm going to have to wait, right? And, you know, that's the essence of the doctor's office, right? You go to the doctor's office, and then you have an, an arbitrary length delay out in the waiting room. And then they do the fake-out thing where they take you to the examining room, right? And, and, and now you don't even have three-year-old magazines, so you're never going to find out how last year's election turned out. Um, um, and, and so there's nothing there but the, the, the poster of some really kind of disgusting disease on the wall. And if you want to get out your cell phone and play Angry Birds, well, there's a sign that says, don't use your cell phone because the person in the next room is hooked up to some equipment and they'll die, right? And so you're saying, oh, I better not use my cell phone. And so you're just sitting there, you're waiting, you don't know how long you're going to be there, right? That's the nature of the doctor's office. And it's not just the doctor's office, we wait all kinds of places. We wait at at you know the DMV, we wait at you know any place you have to take a number and and wait. We have to wait all kinds of places, and I, I know I'm not the only one who who dislikes waiting. Um, uh, when I was at the doctor's office once, I had to wait. Uh, I, I showed up at one thirty, and I, I hesitate to tell you this because you'll try and top me, and you probably can. But I went I went to the doctor's office at one thirty, and uh, sat there kind of going through the seven phases of grieving, uh, of waiting, um, during during this uh, uh, waiting time. At 1.30, uh, I arrived. At 4 o'clock, I noticed the receptionist was packing up to leave. And I thought, well, how about me? You know, it had been busy and people had come and gone, but there's only two people left in the room, and she's not making eye contact with us. And so I go up to the desk and I say, hey, am I ever going to get served here today? And she went to the back, and then she kind of escaped out the side door. Um, and then a while later, uh, a nurse came forward and, and, and took me back to the exam room. The, the, the orthopedic guy, he said, he examined my knee for a minute and said, it's going to need scoped. And I'm thinking to myself, not by you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so maybe you can top that. I'm afraid you probably can. But, but we, all, we all hate waiting. We have uh, situations in our lives where we have to wait. Um, for most of us, fortunately, we, we have to wait mostly in lines or waiting rooms. I read a statistic this week. Americans spend 37 billion hours a year waiting in line. Okay? 37 billion hours. Think what you could do if you could like harness that, you know, and apply it to some world problem or something, right? 37 billion hours in line. And then on top of that, uh, we spend time, uh, waiting in traffic. We spend time, you know, diamond, right? Anyone stop at a, at a traffic signal on diamond lately? Um, the the DOT says that the longest wait at a traffic signal in Anchorage is 160 seconds. They're lying. I know it's thousands of years because I've been at them. Um, so uh, so um, 160 seconds maybe seems like um, 
uh, forever. Um, but, but we hate lying. And in fact, one of the things that they've discovered, I mean, we hate lying. We hate, we hate waiting. One of the things they've discovered is that people overestimate a wait, like me just now with the traffic signal. Uh, people, people overestimate by a factor of 36% the amount of time they spend waiting. And so I know it's not just me. I know that a lot of people dislike waiting. And yet we find ourselves waiting all the time. Um, and so, uh, so it's, it's helpful for us to look at the scriptures, particularly as, as people of faith, okay, uh, people who are followers of Christ, because we're waiting, right? We're in the time between times, we're in the time between Jesus' uh, departure and his return. Um, and there are some really important promises Jesus made. I mean, the most obvious one is, I'll be right back. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming soon. And it's been 2,000 years. And we're going, well, you know, what kind of soon is that? Right, you know, and, and so, so we say, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Jesus. And I'm not just, it's not just an academic concern, you know, when is he coming back? Because he made some promises about how things would be different when he came back. You know, the, the, the promises about, uh, no more pain or sickness or sorrow. Uh, God would wipe away every tear. There won't be violence or, or, uh, hatred. Um, there won't be war or hunger. There's some important things resting on Jesus' return. And so it's not just an academic decision. When is Jesus coming back? Uh, uh, the world is a mess, and so we're waiting for Jesus to, to sort that out. There's things we can do, but ultimately we know that it will never be completely um, uh, repaired uh, and restored until Jesus returns. So, so the world is a mess, and so we're wondering when is Jesus going to get back. But the truth is we know we're messes too. I mean, you know, uh, the, the Bible makes promises. It says that we are being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Uh, and, and if we, if we're honest about that, we can say, well, okay, I'm a work in progress, but honestly, I'm not seeing much progress. You know, I'm not, I'm not meeting my own standards, much less God's standards. And so I'm wondering, how long? How long is it going to be until God kind of, uh, puts it into gear and, and makes some traction here? Um, in my own life or in, in the world, we can wonder how long. We, we are, we are people who are waiting on God. And the good news is that that's a, that's a great place to be. We see that all through the Bible, people who are waiting on God. If you read the Psalms, you read the prophets, you see over and over again people saying, how long, O God? When are you going to get it in gear, O God? How long? So, so we see that question in the, in the Psalms, we see it in the prophets, um, and in the historical books like Joseph, we can, it doesn't take a great leap of faith to imagine that Joseph might have had that thought cross through his mind from time to time. He was, he was enslaved, um, when he was 17. Uh, we'll find out later on he finally gets out of prison when he's 30. So he spends 13 years either as a slave or a prisoner. And we can imagine probably from time to time Joseph asked himself, how long, oh God? So we can look at the scriptures, we can look at the Old Testament, and we can say, uh, uh, how long? And we can, we can see that we're not the only ones who've ever asked that question. But there's a principle we'll see as we look at the story of Joseph that helps us, um, because we can apply it in our own lives. And so what I want to do is I want to just quickly, uh, look back at the story we just heard, the story about Joseph the patriarch during his time waiting on God. So we begin sometime after this, sometime after this. So we don't know how long he's been in prison. But he was a slave for a certain length of time, and now he's been a prisoner for a certain length of time, long enough that the the warden has picked him out and said, you'd make a great trustee 
I'm going to have you do all the, all the grunt work. You're going to be in charge of anything. And in fact, you're going to be in charge of delicate situations. When there's a very important prisoner um, uh, who's put here, um, I'm going to put you in charge of him, Dave, uh, 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 Joseph. And that's what he does. Because Pharaoh gets angry with his cupbearer and his baker. We know what a baker is. What's a cupbearer? Uh, both of them are officials in the household of, of Pharaoh. And um, the reason that you have a cupbearer, the reason you have a baker, is because uh, in, in the ancient world, there were two ways you could get power. There's two ways you could be important. One of them would be to born in it, to be born with it. And the other is to seize it from somebody else who had it. And there's two ways you can seize power. One of them is, you know, the Julius Caesar rides a march, right? You go stab him, okay? And if you win, then now you've got power. Or you can at least fight with the other people, and eventually one of you will be standing, right? That's the one way. But the problem with that is if you lose, it's pretty obvious who did it. So what they would do in the ancient world is they would poison people who had power. And then they'd move into the vacuum. And so uh, all the ancient rulers had a, had a cupbearer and a baker, and they would be in charge of all the food and all the wine. And the idea was, um, the way I know you're going to do a good job is you're going to eat it before me. Okay, so bring out the wine, bring out the food, and they would eat it. And then if they didn't fall over dead, then Pharaoh would say, okay, I'm going to have some too. And we don't know what it was that offended offended them, but for whatever reason, you know, maybe he got the stomach flu or something and he decided he'd been poisoned and so he's going to put these guys in jail. Whatever reason, he puts these two guys in prison. And uh, they are now very important prisoners and yet we see from the story there's a chance they might get out. So the warden says, dicey situation, I'm going to put Joseph in charge of it, okay? That way if they do get out and they're unhappy, it goes on Joseph. So he puts them in custody in the house of the captain and the captain charges Joseph with them and they waited on them sometimes. So more waiting. So we don't know how long he was in prison. We don't know how long these two prisoners were there. A few days, a few months, we don't know. But sometime. And one night they both dreamed. They each had these complicated dreams with all this symbolism. And um, in the next morning, Joseph sees them and they're not happy. And they say, they say, he says, he says, why are you unhappy? And they say, um, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. In ancient cultures, people assumed that dreams were were messages from the next world. And we're going to see that next week because Pharaoh has a dream too. So it's important that when you have a dream, you can have some help interpreting it. And they can't because they're in prison. But what Joseph says is, look, dreams aren't the, the field of magicians or anything like that. Dreams belong to God. So he says, tell me. I've got a connection with God. Tell me and I'll interpret it for you. So the chief cupbearer tells him the, the dream and it's this, you know, blossoms and so forth anyway but what joseph says is he says this is its interpretation the three branches are three days and in three days pharaoh will lift you up and uh you'll place pharaoh's cup in his hand just the way you used to you're going to get restored to your old job and he says and when you do remember me because i'm still in this prison i've been in here and and there's nothing i can do about it it's not fair but here i am and then the chief baker says, okay, good. All right, these dreams are good news. He hears that the, the interpretation is favorable. And he says, I also had a dream. And he asks for help with his dream. And he's explained, well, your head's going to be lifted up, but not in the same way that the chief cupbearer's head's going to be lifted up. His is going to be lifted up out of the dungeon. Yours is going to be lifted up off your shoulders. And then you're going to be stuck in a pole and birds are going to eat you and kind of icky stuff like that. So... Not a favorable thing. And of course, the proof that it's not favorable is he doesn't ask him for a favor. He doesn't say, when you get out, 
because if you do get out, then my dream's no good, my interpretation's no good. So uh, we read at the final paragraph, the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer, the head of the chief baker. He restored the chief cupbearer to his cupbearing, but the baker, he, um, but the chief baker he hanged just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So, Joseph interprets their dreams. He accurately interprets them. We don't know, we don't know, did he ever find out what happened, right? Or, I mean, ultimately he did because he gets out of prison himself and he can find out. But did he know? Three days later, they're taken out of the prison. Does he know that his dream interpretation was correct? We're not clear. But he certainly gets no feedback because the baker forgets about him. It says the baker forgets and um, so he spends the next while in prison. So, what can we do with this? I'm assuming none of you are planning to go to prison. None of you are going to be interpreters of dreams anytime soon. So, um, so what do we do with this? I think that we can get from this um, one principle and an observation, and that will lead us to an application. application. So the principle is that God's timing um, is the one that's going to work out. Okay, your timing and God's may be different, and if if uh, God's and yours do differ, then God's is going to be the one that works out. Okay, that's the one that you have to pay attention to. And so the principle is be open to the possibility that God's timing is different than yours, and that may not be a bad thing. That God's timing may be perfect, and yours may be the one that's wrong. So that's the principle. But the observation is that people in in um, people. Uh, should occupy their time. When, when people have to wait, they should occupy your time. And this is not even a Christian thing. You, you can, you can, um, you can find all kinds of studies. I'm going to share one with you, um, uh, that show that you should occupy your time when you're waiting. So, uh, I love this story. Uh, executives at an, a Houston airport faced a troubling cu- customer relations issue. Passengers were lodging an inordinate number of complaints about long waits at baggage claim. So, um, what they did is they increased the number of baggage handlers and the uh, the uh, plan worked. The average wait fell to eight minutes, well within industry benchmarks, but the complaints persisted. So they undertook a more careful examination. They figured out why it was they're getting so many complaints. The problem was it only took passengers a minute to walk from their arrival gates to baggage claim and seven minutes to get their bags. So uh, seven-eighths of their time is standing around the baggage carousel. So the airport decided on a new approach. Instead of reducing wait times, it moved the arrival gates away from the main terminal and routed bags. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've been to this airport. <laughs> I think they're all this airport. Um, so they routed the bags to the outermost carousel, and passengers now had to walk six times longer to get to their bags, and complaints dropped to nearly zero. Okay. When you are occupied, you're not unhappy with your wait. And so if you're walking from the gate to the baggage claim, that's okay. It's only when you're standing there. This is why in the post-war uh, boom, when they started building tall buildings, they started putting um, uh, uh, mirrors next to um, uh, elevators. So you didn't have to wait for the elevator. While you were waiting for the elevator, you could like look at your hair or you could look at the other people or whatever. So the idea was to give people something to do with their time. It's why they have impulse buy things in lines at grocery stores, because you will pay you will pay money, okay, to relieve the agony of waiting there with nothing to do. So this is not a Christian thing. 
find something to occupy your time, that's a great way to, to get through a period of waiting. But if you put those two together, then the application is this. Do what Joseph did. Use your God-given gifts to pass the time. See, Joseph's job, the job that the, the job that the, uh, uh, warden has given him is to take care of the, the prisoners, okay? All the prisoners that we, we read last week, all the prisoners, plus now these two VIPs, um, his job is to take care of them. His job is not to uh, interpret dreams, but he has a gift for interpreting dreams. So he uses his God-given talent to serve others as his way of passing time. That's the application. So, so when you find yourself waiting, whatever it is you're waiting for, waiting in the uh, in the in the examining room, waiting uh, for results to come back, waiting because you're in prison too, waiting at school for the bell to ring, whatever it is, um, whatever it is you're waiting for, use your God-given talents to serve others. So maybe what you should do with your time is write a note to somebody. Maybe if you're in a place where it's okay to talk on the phone which is not the waiting room in case you're curious. Um, <laughs> don't do that. It drives me crazy. Um, uh, don't don't have personal conversations in the waiting room because I don't like it when they do that. Um, but but if, if there's a if there's an opportunity, maybe you can spend two or three minutes making a phone call that, that you you should you should uh, make a phone call because there's somebody who needs to hear from you. Uh, maybe you've got some kind of a talent or gift that you could use uh, to mentor somebody. Maybe you could volunteer someplace. Um, there's even these places called churches. Maybe you could serve in a church. Okay, So there's all kinds of ways where you can use your God-given talents to serve others. At the best case, that is going to be one of the ways that God uses to conform you to the likeness of Jesus. Okay, At, at best. But at worst, you've passed the time. The worst case is you've profitably passed the time. But the best case is that you are involved in the work that God is doing because God is involved in people. God, God's involved in people's lives. And so when you get involved in people's lives, you can find God in those situations. See, we're going to find out next week, God isn't done with Joseph. He's just making Joseph wait. And, and we don't hear ever why. We can put it together and guess. But we never hear... All we know is that God's timing is different than Joseph's. So be open to the possibility that God's timing is better than yours. The future that God has for you is different than yours, and God's is better. Be open to that possibility, and then use the time while you're waiting on God to use your gifts in service to other people. God's not done with Joseph, and God's not done with you. The question is how you're going to spend the time while you're waiting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us gifts. Maybe we can't interpret dreams, but you give us uh, different gifts. Help us to find ways to use them when we are waiting at carousels, in doctor's offices, by the phone. Maybe there's someone we can pray for. But whatever it is, Lord, help us to know how we can use our gifts to serve others, or to intercede for them. Help us to see the opportunities and help us to benefit from them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.